Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is produced in conjunction with Mass Media, a Google partner, providing businesses with traditional and digital advertising strategy and implementation. MassMedia.net. Sponsorship info for the Airlines Confidential podcast is available at AirlinesConfidential.com. USA Today once wrote, he was more than just the captain of the airline everyone loves to hate. He's the reason we love to hate Spirit. Yes, he's Ben Baldanza, the former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. (laughs) Well... He has naturally red hair, which means he can call himself one of the two percenters. It's Seth Kaplan, NPR's <laughs> here and now transportation analyst. Yeah, that kind of two percenter, at least. Well, pushing back from the gate, this is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. We do something even crazier once in a while. I sing a satirical song about the airline industry, but... You have to listen all the way to the end of today's show if you want to hear me serenade you. Now, that helps both you and us. See, it keeps you listening all the way to the end if you do want to hear me sing. And it keeps you listening almost all the way to the end if you don't want to hear me sing. Now, we could just turn it off before that. And today, uh, there's also an interesting and and seriously nice backstory as to why we're doing this. Another song. Can't wait. But first, we have a lot of other interesting discussions, including the airline versus customer controversy of hidden city ticketing. Yes, that's back in the news. But first, let's prepare for takeoff with this week's news. Ben, with jet fuel about as cheap as it's ever been, we're talking less than a dollar a gallon, you might think airlines would care even less than ever about fuel efficiency and would be happier than ever to keep old, paid-off planes around. After all, as we've discussed in past issues, uh, those are what airlines consider variable capacity. You can park the old planes when demand is low, and if you haven't noticed, that's the case right now, demand is low, and then you can press them back into service when you need them, and it just doesn't cost that much to operate them right now because of how cheap fuel is. Uh, and no question, some fleet types are going to turn out to be retired without the usual send-off, right? The aviation geeks who buy tickets for the final flight, the water cannon salute, all the rest of it, that's because the retirement flight in some cases already happened in the past before anyone knew it. Now, on the other hand, Ben, There's the report by the Air Currents, that's John Ostrower's newsletter, that Delta might be interested in working with Boeing to take Delta's old 717s off its hands and replace them with shiny new 737 Maxes once they're back in the sky. Now, think of all the irony here. First, Delta was the one originally taking unloved 717s off someone else's hands. That was Southwest after Southwest bought AirTran and then decided, oops, it didn't actually want to take two-thirds of AirTran's planes. And of course, Delta was the one giant U.S. airline lucky enough to not have any Maxes when the Max was grounded. So my question here, Ben, is whether there's something I'm missing about why Delta would be willing to do away with 717s and the MD-88s that it still plans to retire soon and take a bunch of new Maxes of all things, or would Delta just be doing what it has done rather well over the years, which is getting a good deal on planes no one else wants right now? Well, Seth, I think it might be a little of both. Now, the fact that you and I remember the name of the airline that those 717s originally worked for, AirTran, right? <laughs> um, tells you that those planes aren't exactly um, the youngest planes in the sky. They're certainly not the oldest in Delta's fleet, but right. they were relatively small aircraft. And 
My guess is they may have some maintenance issues or they may just, since they can't really grow the fleet, they may feel that it's not the right fleet for them going forward, especially when my guess is they could talk Boeing into a real sweetheart price for that 737 MAX since it's not even in the air yet and Boeing hasn't sold one for a long, long time. And having a customer like Delta who buys planes, you know, in big bunches would be a real coup for Boeing in terms of the credibility of that plane returning to the air. So it might be a win-win around here for Boeing and Delta get a nice new airplane that is going to be a great plane um, for maybe a one-time only really low price. At the same time, get rid of a fleet that's a little small, getting a little long in the tooth, and just as stuck at the size it is. That's my sense as to what it is um, all about that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, Delta does, it's willing to buy new airplanes opportunistically. They took the A220s when when previously called the Bombardier ACS-300s and nobody wanted those uh, and and seems to be glad it has them. And so, so yeah, that's what it does. And the, uh, and the, and the 717 would be a direct competitor to those shiny new 220s. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Absolutely. So yeah, they've, they've done this over the years and uh, there are airlines around the world whose success is disproportionately because of just buying airplanes at the right time. These are the most expensive assets that airlines have. So, you know, imagine in another industry, if, if, if one company's factory just cost a lot less to build than somebody else's right uh that that's kind of how delta has done it with uh with airplanes and it's, it's worked out rather well so we'll have to see here again that's none of that's confirmed that's that's uh that's just that report but ostrower is pretty good uh so 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 my guess is you know I don't, who knows if this will actually come to fruition but if he's reporting it it's because that is really something that's that's being talked about. Well, Ben, there was a piece on CNBC's website kind of ranking how different airlines around the world are handling elite status for their customers. Obviously, plenty of people are not going to be flying as much as before. So British Airways, for one, is making it easier to attain elite status this year. You don't need nearly as many points to qualify through for status that would be good through 2021. The big U.S. airlines, for the most part, Delta, American United, are extending status. You're good for another year. Uh, one thing I should mention, Ben, is that from what I can tell, although I haven't flown since this all started, the few frequent flyers who are flying right now aren't necessarily getting one benefit of a downturn, which is that usually the front of the plane is empty and it's easy to get an upgrade. And that's because airlines are trying to avoid packing any part of the planes. Uh, so some airlines have suspended automatic upgrades and are handling all of that at the gate, and they might not you know, fill up the first class cabin. There were some people who might be entitled to upgrades or might be stuck in the back. Now, Ben, can you talk to me about the balance that airlines have tried to strike here between being as nice to customers as they can so people remember later how they were treated while also saving the airline? I'm thinking here about the difference, for example, between the current reputations of United and American when it comes to refunds and so forth, right? American is getting some good press about being nicer. But on the other hand, I, I, you know, United, like everybody else, is trying to save an airline. And and, and, and so, you know, if being less generous is what saves the airline and preserves jobs and, and you know, leaves you there for your customers later. I, I, I just don't know. How, how, how does how do you weigh that if you're running an airline right now? Well, it sure is a balance. And, you know, airplanes are probably one of the toughest places in the world to think about enforcing physical distance. Right. 
because it's it's a fixed size tube. So you can't really get a space. I mean, look, people have had this random chatter about, well, block the middle seats. Well, I'm still only 18 inches across the aisle from the person next to me. So right. so there's no such thing as physical distancing on the plane. So I'm, I'm certainly empathetic with airlines saying, look, we can't fill any part of the plane with people too close to each other. So we're going to leave some empty seats in the front. And maybe we can upgrade one or two people. But if there's eight seats there, we're not going to fill all eight because then we'll have the same problem that we don't want to have in the back. And if there's only 40 people on this whole plane, we can spread everybody out kind of nicely. And while they certainly don't want that to be the long term of the industry, while they can, and while not that many people are buying seats, they can keep some of that physical distancing going on on flights where they have lower loads. And not allowing upgrades is one way to do that. I would think one thing that they would want to do, though, is show them lots of love through the Frequent Flyer program in other ways. Yeah, bonus miles. Bonus miles, things like that. You know, I'm a status member in two different airline Frequent Flyer programs, and both of those airlines have extended my status level into next year. Um, and basically said, look, we know you can't travel. So for all of 2021, you'll be what we'd expected you would have been in 2020. And I feel good about that to the point where maybe I'm not normal in this. And But I think if I flew one of those two airlines in the next month or two, which I don't plan to actually, but I think if I did and I knew that I was eligible for a business class upgrade, but I didn't get it. I don't know that it would bother me even if I saw empty seats in the cabin, if I felt they were doing the right things on board with trying to keep me safe and trying to respect sort of distancing things. I'd say, look, you know, they they extended my status. They're keeping people away from me the best they can inside this little tube. You know, okay, they're doing all right. That's yeah. That's probably how I would think about it. I mean, I would think a customer who really gets upset about not getting an upgrade at a time when the reason they didn't get it is because they didn't want to sit them next to someone would be a little short-sighted, I would think. So they got to think about it. But I think the first order of business is building back confidence for people to be on airplanes. And one way you make them confident to be on an airplane again is make them confident that they're not going to have great risk by being on the airplane. So I think what goes on on the airplane to minimize the perception of risk and the reality of contracting coronavirus, right, from someone you don't know, um, is, is the real order of business. And outside the tube, they should do all the right things on the frequent fire program. That's the way I would think about it in terms of the, the real near-term priority. Yeah, and, and all kinds of stuff going on with these programs. It's not just elite status. We see airlines doing something again now, which they probably thought they'd never have to do again, at least among the U.S. airlines. These forward mileage sales where just to ma- manage their balance sheet, talk about you know whether it's Delta going to American Express, United going to Chase, and, and so forth, and, and selling billions and billions of miles at a discount, but getting the cash right now from their bank, bank partners. And then that's going to do some interesting things for customers down the road. It probably means that in the end, you know, there, there'll be more bonus miles going around, right? Because these banks will just have these miles to be able to do things like lure people to sign up to, uh, to credit cards and so forth. It, it, it's interesting, though, because 
so much has changed. And it seemed like, if anything, maybe airlines were turning the corner on that, you know, <laughs> and, and and they'd finally, some of them anyway, become, you know, rather profitable as airlines and, and, and not just sort of uh, a break-even airline alongside a frequent flyer program. But once again, these programs are becoming a major deal. In fact, they saw Virgin Australia, we talked last week about it, they had I mean, essentially filed for what Americans would call Chapter 11 bankruptcy, their involuntary administration, their frequent flyer program, their loyalty program, which they had spun off and now they own again. That was excluded from that process. But then they froze the uh, the redemption anyway of miles from that program. And so these programs, once again, are are, are kind of of huge strategic importance to these struggling airlines in all kinds of ways. Absolutely. And, you know, as airlines have been facing a real liquidity crunch, that means cash, right? A <laughs> real cash crunch <laughs> when they're not taking in much, if any, revenue. They've looked for all kinds of ways to raise money, including selling airplanes that they owned outright to a lessor and leasing it back. It's called a sale lease back. And they're probably when airlines that have done that, and there are several that have announced those kind of initiatives, those that have done that probably haven't gotten the absolute best price that they would have gotten on the airplane, you know, a year ago, but they were able to sell it and take an airplane that was, they owned free and clear and generate some liquidity or cash out of that plane and still keep the plane. They're just now paying every month for it, but they get the cash up front and frequent fire miles are another real asset of the airlines. And it shows just how valuable those programs are that even in a world where currently there's very little demand for air travel, there's still big demand for future aspiration that I can fly for free. Right. (laughs) And that people know that airlines are going to be back at some point And at some point, it's going to be okay to be on a plane again. And if I can get that upgrade to a business or first class seat, or I can get a free trip to Hawaii or Cancun with my family, you know, I still want those points. And banks realize that. And banks have credit cards tied to these airlines. So it can be a real good marketing pitch for the bank. And it swings some of the economics between the credit card and the bank back in the bank's favor, because now they can buy that. Yeah. That asset, which makes their credit card so valuable to customers, they can buy that piece of it a lot cheaper right now. But the airlines need the cash. Exactly. And, and, and that's a good way to put it, right? The balance of power seemed to be kind of swinging in favor of the airlines in recent years, especially after consolidation, not as many airlines, roughly just as many banks chasing them, you know, trying to be the official partner and all the rest of it. And now, yeah, the banks What's the old saying, right? That that why you rob banks because that's where the money is. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. That's where, during this crisis, anyway, maybe maybe last crisis, not so much. Though they were the ones being rescued, but uh, but that is indeed where the money is. Well, speaking of frequent flyer programs, and back to the idea of status. Uh, now it's time for customers behaving badly, or is it? Well, in the opinion of the airline in question here, it most definitely is. A fair number of travelers might feel differently. This originally appeared on the well-known website, The Points Guy. They write, today I want to share a story from Points Guy reader Daniel, who got banned from the American Airlines Advantage program for repeatedly booking hidden city tickets. I'll explain that in a minute for anybody who doesn't know what that means. But uh, here's what the customer wrote, Daniel. Last week, American Airlines sent me the nasty email informing me that I'm being kicked out of their Advantage Frequent Flyer program for taking hidden city flights. In fact, their audit department included a list of 95 flights where I had not completed the final leg of a trip. In my case, they consider uh, they confiscated rather, approximately 50,000 points 
though quite frankly I expected this to happen at some point. Uh, they did offer to reinstate my points and my Platinum Pro status. Platinum Pro is the 75,000 mile tier at American. Uh, they, they offered to do is if I paid the difference for all 95 flights, that's probably going to cost me more than $10,000. So it looks like I'll be coming up with some other options. All in all, there may be an inconvenience or two, but American is losing a loyal customer who has flown over 90 segments a year the past three years american by the way ben just just parenthetically and that's that's the end of what daniel wrote uh that they back to what we were saying before they are now giving people lifetime status miles again for credit card spend that was something that they took away like a right. almost a decade ago that was another one of those promos that right using the credit cards okay now you can become a million mile flyer and get gold status forever two million miles gets you platinum forever another one of those things but back to this so first of all hidden city ticketing i think a lot of people listening to us know what that is because they're either executives at airlines who hate it uh, or, or they're guilty or of it. <laughs> or, or they're guilty of it or they're other passengers. You know, I'm 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 neither. Like I, I'm somebody who just the way I kind of do things, I want everything I'm entitled to, but I don't want anything I'm not entitled to, right? That's me, right? I I want to use the coupon, I wanna I wanna get whatever I'm supposed to get. But but anyway, just just to set it up, hidden city ticketing. So what this is I think everybody knows that that obviously airline pricing isn't based on how far you fly or necessarily whether you have to connect on the way to get there. You might think a connecting flight costs the airline more money, right? Because it's two flights, but the nonstop flight to the same place might cost more. And the reason for that really is is that there's very often less competition for a nonstop flight. So, for example, let's say you want to fly American Airlines from Charlotte to Phoenix, or you want to fly from Charlotte to Phoenix nonstop period. And even if you don't know that American flies it, you very quickly will find out there's one airline that operates nonstop in that market. Without looking right now, I'd be willing to bet, or at least at a normal time in history, I'm certain everything right now is kind of messed up. But but if you search for tickets to Los Angeles, right, beyond Phoenix, you might find that it is cheaper to fly to Los Angeles with a connection in Phoenix than it is from Charlotte, than it is to fly nonstop from Charlotte to Phoenix. And very, very simply, that's because there are a million ways to get from Charlotte to Los Angeles with a connection, right? There would be, I mean, on American itself, there would be a, a, a connection in Dallas and there would be a connection on United in Houston and on, you know, Delta and Atlanta and probably in Salt Lake City and so forth, right? Just so many different ways. So it's a commodity. It's much more competitive. Whereas if you say, I want to fly from Charlotte to Phoenix nonstop, American knows that there's exactly one way to do that. And that's on their airline. So there are people who, knowing what I just said, will buy the American ticket uh, connecting in Phoenix on the way to Los Angeles and, and just and just throw out the Phoenix Los Angeles part. And if it's that if that's the last leg of a trip, you can't do that at the beginning part of a round trip. But if it's the last leg of a trip, then theoretically, well, you know, what's the airline going to do uh, now? They can't check a bag if they do that. Uh, there's a lot of other risk. And, and this is what I've explained to people. And they're like, well, why not do it? I say, well, OK, not only can you not check a bag, but let's say your Charlotte Phoenix flight cancels right? And your deal with American is they're supposed to get you to Los Angeles, right? And 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 they could say, well, uh, okay, we're going to reroute you over Dallas and you're going to get there about the same time. Uh, no problem, right? What are you supposed to say to him? No, no, no. I really want to connect in Phoenix. That shouldn't matter to you. <laughs> Lots of risk. Uh, not to mention, and, and this some listeners might recall, uh, Lufthansa actually sued somebody a, a, a year or two back, sued a customer, said, we want our extra couple thousand euros that you should have paid 
for. It was a business class ticket in that case that you should have paid us for the flight that you took, the nonstop flight where you got off. And, you know, if you just bought the nonstop flight, it would cost a lot more. All that said, Ben, interesting. I mean, the customer kind of isn't disputing what happened. In fact, he said, I, I thought I'd probably lose the points at some point, but here Americans going to lose me as a customer. I guess my question, Ben, is, is, is this a customer behaving badly? It's that segment of the show, but is it? And is this a customer who American wants? He does spend a lot of money with them. Uh, what, what's going on here? Well, you and I are both dads, Seth, and we're both raising kids, right? Yep. And one of the things I tell my son, and I'm sure you tell your daughter, is the definition of integrity is doing the right thing, even if you can get away with not doing the right thing. Yes. Right? Yes. Or even when no one's looking. That's the definition of integrity, is doing the right thing. And this guy knew he was doing the wrong thing for years. And he he figured out this loophole, and he kept exploiting the loophole. So I have no empathy for him at all. I'm glad American nailed him. They should ban him from the airline, not just take him from the American, yeah. the program. And if he's never going to fly American again, I don't even believe that. If American's his best option, he's going to fly American. And if he yeah. lives in Charlotte, he's going to fly American a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Seth, I've got a story on Hidden Ticketing that I think you and the listeners will like. And it allows me to bring in yet another Yiddish word. But of the best example of chutzpah I've ever seen, <laughs> which is yeah. when I when I worked for U.S. Airways, we had that hub in Charlotte. It's the hub that America now has because sure. they the U.S. Airways is and we charge ridiculously high fares out of Charlotte. And I was I ran the marketing department, so you know we just could get away with it, right? If you lived in Charlotte. And you flew for business and Bank of America, who's based there, was paying for your tickets and things like that. It's like, why charge 700 if you can get 800 right? And Northwest Airlines was doing the same thing in Minneapolis. And you no, know, that, that's, just, right. that's just how and you know that's, that's how the business works. Yeah, go ahead. But one of the interesting things about geography is that uh, Greensboro is not far from Charlotte at all. And U.S. Airways flew a small plane from Greensboro to Charlotte lots of times a day. And it's so close to Charlotte that it's like under an hour drive, I think. And we had the problem with people using Greensboro as the hidden city because Greensboro to anywhere was a lot cheaper than Charlotte to anywhere, right? And so yeah. people, in some cases, like this was before Uber, but now they probably take Uber to Greensboro and get on in Greensboro, connect in Charlotte, and then just get off in Charlotte at the other end. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's what this guy did, in fact. Um, <laughs> but then then some people would drive their cars and things. But we got a call from a rental car company in Greensboro who said that he was renting a lot of one way rentals in Charlotte to get to Greensboro and to drop off in Greensboro. And he said, and all these people are flying on US Airways. And he wanted to know if we would do a frequent flyer program with him to give his riders US Airways points. <laughs> <laughs> and he had he had no idea what he was asking for. <laughs> he was basically asking us to incent our customers to do exactly what we did not want them to do. 
I just thought that was so great that he very innocently said, you know, I got a lot of these customers and I'm just a small time guy here, but if I could give them dividend miles points, which was the name of the USOA's program, he said, you know, that could be in both of our interests. Yeah, <laughs> I thought yeah. that was so great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, no, exactly. And um, no, and that point you made about it, just setting the right example. And I think that it's just it, it's um, another saying, you know, just you know, tell the truth. It's easier to remember. Right. I, I remember this a lesson for me uh, early in life, early enough. Anyway, I was let's see, I was like 17 years old going to a baseball game with my uncle and my cousin who was like seven. We were in Minneapolis, actually. Uh, and, and I think, you know, if you were six or under you got in free or cheaper or something like that. Right. And I remember saying, you know, to my uncle, they're not, they're not going to know whether he's six or seven. Right. And that was, you know, I'm a 17 year old kid at the time. And he said, no, he said, he said, but it's more important for him to see us doing the right thing for, for the seven year old kid to see us doing the right thing. And, and it was more important for me to see him doing the right thing too, obviously. Right. He said then to save whatever it was on, on that, on that baseball ticket. And that was something that always stuck with me. And I actually find it, you know, liberating to just not be like how these people must think when they're doing this and sitting thing. Oh, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope that the thing that I said, you know, your flight cancels and all of a sudden you're going to Dallas instead. And, and, you know, just, just, um, in my opinion, not worth it, even though somebody out there is concluding otherwise. And, you know, Seth, well, but I will say, I will thank, I will thank Daniel for one thing, which is allowing us to have a passengers behaving badly that didn't include any kind of uh, real nasty thing on board. Yeah, or real, no, absolutely. Or like oh. that. It, this is the white collar crime version of, uh, <laughs> exactly. of, of He's uh, not a menace to his passengers. He's <laughs> not, I guess, nowadays it would be, uh, you know, sneezing on somebody without wearing a mask. Or like, right. He's not doing any... <laughs> Of that. Well, now at Cruise Altitude here on Airlines Confidential, American CEO Doug Parker said a few years ago he thought U.S. airlines would never again lose money. Might wish now he hadn't made that prediction, but should he also go back on another position he took a long time ago, a very successful one? Where Airlines Confidential is next. Sponsorship info for the Airlines Confidential podcast is available at airlinesconfidential.com. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Fine or wine is next. But first, let's go to the mailbag. Arun, it's A-R-U-N, I hope I'm not pronouncing that correctly, from Dallas asks, airlines have dropped fuel hedges over the past 10 years, but with extremely low prices, do you think they will reconsider this now? I'm specifically thinking of American Airlines, where Doug Parker has always been against it. Ben, this is a great question. So just to frame it very quickly, fuel hedging is a, you could do a whole show or two on on just that. But basically, this is when airlines, uh, well, literally hedge their bets, right? Ahead of time, they try to eliminate some of the risk of what might happen to fuel prices later by entering into contracts where they say, okay, we'll, we'll sort of it could be essentially prepaying for fuel or buying an option that'll let them later buy fuel cheaper than it would be on the open market. And basically, Southwest uh, in the late 1990s ended up getting rich later by it had so many billions of dollars, didn't know what to do with them. It, it hedged fuel, basically pre purchased fuel for like the next decade. And then when fuel got really expensive, Southwest was paying a lot less money than everybody else for fuel. Uh, but then it turned out this goes both ways. 
And uh, the reference to Doug Parker at U.S. Airways at the time, it wasn't just U.S. Airways that was in this situation. But then when fuel uh, prices crashed after mid-2008, and then in 2009, we were in a recession. And the one good thing about recession should have been, of the recession should have been that airlines weren't paying a lot for fuel because fuel prices had dropped, kind of like they have right now. And yet there were airlines stuck paying higher prices than spot prices for fuel because they had entered into these hedges. It seemed like hedges because fuel was going up, up, up. Hedges were like just a discount, right? Why not buy them? Uh, you know, pay today's prices instead of tomorrow's prices. But then when tomorrow's prices turned out to be higher, U.S. Airways was the, was really the first airline that kind of threw its hands up in the air and said, look, we're an airline. We're not a hedge fund. Uh, th- this is all costing a lot of money uh, at best. Uh, you know, in a quarter where fuel prices spike, we might save a little bit of money. But over the long term, we are just spending a lot more on this than 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 we're um than than we're saving ourselves and and they basically just turned out to be right and one by one other US airlines came to agree with that so it was Doug Parker and Scott Kirby at the time there Scott uh now president about to become CEO of United uh and, and the whole US industry has for the most part come around and adopted that same way of thinking Southwest is kind of the notable difference among large U.S. airlines. It still hedges fuel, but less aggressively than other airlines around the world. So the question here, Ben, is do you stick with that philosophy because it's, hey, it's just worked? Or is now the time with with oil prices literally negative at one point you know, a week or so back? Of course, jet fuel prices weren't literally negative themselves. But anyway, fuel, it's just as cheap as you can imagine it. Is now the time where you say, I don't care how little money we have. There's just nothing to lose. Uh, is now the time to forget about your philosophy and say there's no time like the present to hedge fuel? Well, this is a great question, but I'll tell you why I think I don't expect to see a rush into hedging. There's two reasons. One is hedge is the word, but the transaction requires two parties. It requires one who's willing to buy at a certain price and one who's willing to sell at a certain price. The other party other than the airlines called the counterparty, good name for it, right? And so you have to find someone to do a hedge that believes the opposite of you. You're hedging because you think the price is going to go up. So I'll buy it today. And then when it goes up, I'll save money. But to do that, You've got to find someone who says, you're wrong. The price isn't going to go up, so I'll make that deal with you because I'm going to make money on it, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and and when oil prices are negative, there aren't very many people in the world who think they're not going to go up. So so it's just hard to find somebody to take that bet. Well, that's it. it's not only that there are going to be fewer people to take the bet, but because prices are so low right now, they're going to charge a lot to take the bet. Even if they believe for the term of the hedge that oil prices might stay relatively low, the risk is so much that the price could go way up. And if the price goes way up, they lose a lot of money that to balance that risk, they're just going to charge a lot of money to do the hedge. So so one reason I don't think it's going to happen is because I think finding a counterparty that would do it for a reasonable economics is going to be very difficult right now. Yeah. So when something seems this incredibly obvious, it's just not as good of a deal at another moment in time. The reason Southwest made all that money when it did was because not everybody in the world believed that that fuel was. Well, I mean, it's just much easier to hedge when oil is $80 a barrel and it can drop 80 or go up 
40, right? Yeah. Or right, it's just much easier than when it's really, really low. There's no place, there's almost there's no only place one for way. it to go down. It's only there's one only way to go. one way. So everybody so, kind of so knows. So if you're getting that. if you're getting to bet someone that it's gonna go the opposite way from the only way it can go, they're just gonna charge you a lot for that. Yeah. yeah the second sense. reason is that as good a deal as it might be, even if you could find a counterparty that would charge maybe more, but not so much more. Airlines just, if they're me- if they're watching their cash closely, that without sort of the government support, airlines would be running out of cash in 2020. I mean, they're losing they're losing you know tens of millions of dollars every day. So they can't, as good fiduciaries, which is means protectors of money that airlines yeah. need to be, right? Yeah. They they literally can't think about transactions that aren't necessary to keep the airline alive today. And right now they can benefit from low fuel prices. The planes they're flying, they can break even sooner because the fuel price is lower, but they can't insure their future with today's cash because their today's cash needs to last until people start flying again and they don't know when that answer is. So for those two reasons, I don't expect to see people hedge even though I absolutely expect that there's going to be a date in the future when people are flying again and everybody's going to say, man, I wish I had hedged at that time. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but just, you got to, but if you're in the seat right now, nobody's going to write a big check to a big counterparty, which they're going to make them pay for what they hope is fuel they can buy cheap, but they don't even know if they're going to have airplanes to put fuel in by the time yeah. they would buy it that cheap. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, do you have a question for us? You can call us at 305-379-7429 and record a question for us anytime during the week. Again, 305-379-7429. You can email us, questions at airlinesconfidential.com, or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. You'll see a form on there to submit your question. Well, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for Fine or Whine. We listen to an actual customer complaint, and then we talk about whether a complaint is fine. And if it's fine, maybe the airline should be fined, right? Or if they're just <laughs> whining, Ben, you have a complaint. Yes, I do, Seth. This one is from Kerry of a town called Port Sea, which I think is in Australia, not far from Melbourne, in fact, right? Yep. Kerry's complaining about Qantas, which is an acronym. I bet a lot of our listeners know that for Queensland, Queensland. and Northern Territory Aerial Services, yeah. which is why Qantas doesn't have a QU. So Kerry writes, we booked and paid for premium economy seats. Those are the seats with a little more legroom to fly from Melbourne to Los Angeles and return. This uh, complaints from early March. Also, by the way, we so requested, before, yeah, yeah, like, so. like, but we knew the word COVID nineteen, right? But sure, sure, sure. But they're still we, flying. Yeah, that's right. We booked and paid for premium economy seats to fly from Melbourne to Los Angeles and return. We requested an upgrade, which is usually given if there are seats available. We were sent a text to say we were not successful as business class was full. At check-in, I asked again if business class was full and told, yes, they were fully booked. We had family and friends in business class who came down to see us and said there were six seats empty in business. How could Qantas truly offer a service and then clearly lie to you more than once? We have more than enough points for the upgrade. If they were never going to give it to you, then why offer the service? Interesting. Now, I could imagine a few different ways why you wouldn't get an upgrade with points. I mean, you could imagine they were like capacity controlled, right? Where were the whatever kind of points 
you know, that tier that they were trying to use of points only gets you a very capacity controlled award. So even if there were empty seats, you wouldn't get it. But that doesn't sound like what's going on here. Like they they seem to have said, no, it's full, right? Like this, the deal seems to have been that they could have upgraded as long as there was an empty seat, right? I mean, they understood that it was, you know, of course, Quant is going to try to sell the seats first. So yeah, what, what do you think, Ben? Well, you know fine what you know what makes me think this is fine, and I think the customer's right to be annoyed about this is the fact that there were six seats in business. Because yeah. if if, she, if Carrie had said there were two seats and there were two of us, I might think not only might it be a capacity control, but maybe I don't know if this is true, but maybe that's a very long flight. So they they have what's called augmented crews on that flight, which means they have more pilots. Than they need because the pilot, some pilots oh, yeah. have to be resting while they fly, and it's very possible that their that their pilot deal reserves some business class seats for pilots who, when they're not flying, are resting, right, or yeah. or can sit there, and it's very possible that that seat was full in the sense that it couldn't be sold to a customer, but was empty at the time, you know, that her friends were looking at it. But six seats tells me that that probably wasn't the case. And so I'm going to side with the customer because they, for some reason, they either didn't manage it well or they shouldn't have told them that the flight was full. They should have just said, we can't process your upgrade at that time. The problem is they used the words, we are full, when they clearly were not full and they could see that it wasn't full. So what I think Juana should have done is said, we're sorry, we can't process your upgrade at this time or process the upgrade. Or we can't upgrade you at this time. We're sorry about that. Thanks for flying with us. Maybe I'll bring you an extra rum and coke or something like that. It's a long flight. But to to sort of push it off on we're full when in fact others could see that there were clearly plenty of empty seats, which again is why I think it couldn't have just been crew rest seats or something like that. That's why I'm, I'm going with the customer on this and say, Qantas probably tried to brush the customer off fairly quickly. They could have been a little more explanatory about why they why they weren't doing it or just done it. One of the two. Or just done it. Yeah, maybe somebody had, had booked those seats, had checked in for them and just didn't show up at, at the gate. But then, OK, fine. Usually there's there's a process at the last minute then to. Uh, yeah, I mean, they would they would they would have said, you know, with the they were a flight attendant would have walked in and said, hey, well, some seats have opened up. You guys want to move up? That's yeah. I've seen that happen on planes sure. as the planes taxiing out. They yeah. they call for a customer, ring your call button and they say, yep. look, we got a seat for you up front. We didn't think we'd have it, but it's there now. So they yeah. could have done something like that. And yeah. they had plenty of time between Melbourne and L.A. to do something about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Well, on final approach now, that does it for Airlines Confidential this week. Oh, except for a promise or threat, depending on how you see it, that I would sing. We'll get to that in a minute. First, though, please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seatbacks and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429, or you can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. Okay, so now uh, first the backstory. Good friend, Chris Sloan, Ben, you know Chris, was I was talking with Chris about the singing on the show. And he said, oh, he said, you know, it's great. You should sing more. I said, well, you know, a lot of people hate it. And and I, I said, you know what, Chris, you know, it would be a great fundraiser. Uh, I should I should tangentially say Chris and, and his wife Carla are, are incredibly philanthropic people. 
if you jump on, it's the Caleb and Calder Awesome Foundation. If you just look that up, it, it, tragic story. He lost a child, uh, but now there's this foundation that does just all kinds of good work, including especially uh, when, when times are bad uh, right now. Anyway, so I said, Chris, a good fundraiser would be that like people contribute and like they click one link if they want me not to sing and one link if they if they want me to sing and wh- whoever, whichever raises the most money, that's what happens. I either sing or I don't sing based on that. And he said, well, he said, in the meantime, he said, I will pay you to sing, uh, pay a charity. I'll, I'll donate money to a charity of your choice. He said, I'll, I'll donate $250 if you sing one of your old songs and I'll donate $500 if you write a new song. So, wow, I got to do this right now. I didn't have a chance to write the new song yet. I started doing it, but I just we it was time to record and I didn't get to finish it yet. So I will do that next week and I'll just I'll negotiate against myself and and throw this in for free. This is an old song uh, that, that I'm going to that I'm going to sing now. And uh, and then next week we'll get to the new song about the new environment. That's what Chris wanted. It was just something to capture what's going on now. So we'll get to that. But for now. This is connecting in Memphis uh, from back in the uh, in the Northwest days of the Memphis hub. Not there are a bunch of references in here that that you know a lot of people will get a few won't, but uh, but just one just because it comes through it, it recurs throughout it. Ampha is the mechanics union, uh, which still still represents mechanics at other airlines. There were just awful labor management relations at Northwest Airlines. They were sort of famously combative. Actually, a very successful airline for for much of its history, but not famous for, let's say, the very best customer service or the very friendliest. But anyway, what happened was the mechanics were in a standoff with management, and basically the mechanics all lost their jobs, and Northwest outsourced its maintenance work. So with that said, here's Connecting in Memphis to the tune of the Mark Cohen song. Took out my World Perks card and I boarded a plane. Touchdown in the land of the Northwest Cruise on a dirty old airplane. The CEO Doug Steenland, won't you look down over me? Yeah, I've got a first class ticket. But the crew's as rude as a flight attendant can be I'm connecting in Memphis I'm walking from an Avro to a DC-9 I'm connecting in Memphis But am I gonna buy a buy on board meal? Saw the ghost of Ampha Down on where else? Union Avenue Followed him up to MSP and to DTW. Now management, they didn't see him. They just outsourced all their work. There's a pretty little thing answers the call button when it rings and serves buy on board meals too. Yeah, I'm connecting in Memphis. I'm walking from Concourse A to B. When will they emerge from bankruptcy? Oh, they've got peanuts on tray tables. No in-flight entertainment in the air. 
and Doug Steeland will be glad to see you when you're buying a Wi-Fi and you're connecting in Memphis. Laid off mechanics leave the picket lines every Friday cause it does no good. And they brought me down to see them And they asked me if I would Do a little number And I sang with all my might They said, tell me are you an infant child? And I said, ma'am I am tonight Yeah, I'm connecting in Memphis I'm walking from Concourse A to B Connecting in Memphis When will they emerge from bankruptcy? I'm connecting in Memphis I'm walking from an Afro to a DC-9 I'm connecting in Memphis But am I gonna buy a buy on board meal? Took out my World Perks card and I boarded a plane. Touchdown in the land of the Northwest cruise on a dirty old airplane. Down in the land of the Northwest cruise on a dirty old airplane. And with that, from the Airlines Confidential Studios, I'm Ben Baldanza. And I'm... Whose name can I use so that people don't remember who's saying that? (laughs) (laughs) Seth Kaplan, folks. Thanks for hanging with us. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.